This is the South Florida Tech Podcast, a weekly show where we bring you the awesome, innovative people building our South Florida Tech community. Each week, we'll introduce to you one of the Sunshine State's top business, startup, or tech leaders. Learn about who they are, what they do, and have some fun conversation along the way. Our podcast sponsor is Emerge Americas. Each year, global enterprises, disruptive technology, and elite startups are highlighted at Emerge's premier tech event, Connecting the Americas. The event is held in Miami Beach, which to date has hosted organizations from over 40 countries and featured over 250 speakers from around the world. Emerge Americas is transforming Miami's tech hub by connecting entrepreneurs, investors, leading business executives, and decision makers. We have an awesome guest today. Uh, that we're going to be chit-chatting with, uh, Leanne Buchanan. Uh, she is a writer, a strategist, a facilitator. She supports leaders and uh, community bridge system gaps in access, inclusion, opportunity, and racial equity with a focus on technology, innovation, and entrepreneurial communities. Uh, long story short, she is awesome. Uh, she has supported innovation and technology leaders at Fortune 500 companies, including Google, Facebook, Delta, P&G, Airbnb, HSBC, UBS, and as the founding executive director of Venture Cafe Miami, has led the organization to an exponential growth and impact to connect 50,000 innovators and establish over 1,000 content partnerships. She's also the founder of Naya Project, which bridges systemic uh, opportunity gaps through transformative leadership fellowships abroad and tech-enabled college access through for uh, disadvantaged youth of color. I mean, if anything you got from that, you should know that Leanne Buchanan is an amazing human being who does so much in South Florida and so much around the world. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. Well, I'm super excited to be here among friends. So Leanne, you you do a lot and you've uh, been a part of the, the, the community for some time now. I, I would love to hear what your elevator speech is as it were, on what you do and what Venture Cafe does here in South Florida. Whew, I've been actually working on my elevator pitch it's, and it's going. Um, but the long and short of it is we like to focus our efforts on building the ecosystem. So really looking at the ecosystem around tech, innovation, and entrepreneurship and how we can ensure organizations get better connected, founders get better access to resources, people can better navigate and connect with each other. And then more importantly, as we look to the future of South Florida as a true hub for innovation, technology, and entrepreneurship, how we can have a little bit uh, more strength in the infrastructure of how we scale our ecosystem and what does accountability look like and how do we work better together all through a lens of inclusion, equity, access, and looking at how we can um, also think about racial equity as well. That's amazing. Um, and I'm so proud to be counted in that 50,000 number of innovators way back in the day. We uh, were so proud to have been partnered and worked with you for many, many years. So uh, thank you so much for all of that. Um, also, in case you didn't know, listeners, uh, Leanne and I are both Canadian originally. And so we connected when <laughs> A long time ago when we first met on all our funny Canadian things and Canadian sayings. So that's awesome. I, um, I was wondering, you know, I remember early on, you know, you're an attorney um, by education and now you're a leader for innovation in this ecosystem. And that's, a, that's quite a career trajectory, right? So I'm wondering, 
how did that come to be? How did you know you wanted to be innovation? You know, you go, you go to school for years and years. It's not easy getting a law degree. Um, what brought you to Florida? What made you take the leap to leave law and do what you're doing now? So maybe you can share a little bit about uh, your journey and how you've gotten to where you are now. Of course, I always say I'm a recovering attorney, although I still find myself really actively involved in the American Bar Association um, in various capacities. But honestly, when I think about it, the through line between practicing law, I practice complex commercial litigation, white collar defense, and work with multinational corporations around fraud, Ponzi schemes, and other uh, fun pieces of litigation was the work that I did as an attorney isn't actually that different from the work that I do now in ecosystem building. Um, I'll give you a clear example. As a litigator, your job is to learn the ins and outs of any particular industry that is represented by the case so that you can make a compelling case and um, get to a clear outcome. You have to work with other parties. A lot of the work that I did in American Bar was connecting with other organizations and beginning to see where you can reach a clear vision or an end game by being strategic and building relationships. That has not changed. A lot of the work as, an, as a litigator is trying to think about different strategies, something no one else has thought about before, looking at marrying different disciplines together to come up with a creative argument. The same thing exists when you're looking at building ecosystems. You want to try to make sure the local assets are really elevated. You're beginning to connect parties that may not have worked together before. I know, Joe, we've connected you with different folks um, that you might not have worked together with, and now you have beautiful partnerships. And then also looking from a 40,000 foot view, what's the end goal? And then how do we get there through partnerships, strategies, and innovative approaches? Um, so I honestly think it's the same. And what I love about this work is the people. I would have to say the people are who I center in all of the ecosystem building work and the relationships and connections that I've been able to make are invaluable. I, I will say just briefly, um... I've gone to Leanne for her wisdom and guidance and support many times. And on the law piece, I, I, you know, building an ecosystem can be a very personal journey for everyone who's involved. So people take things personally, there are emotions involved, but you're always even keel. You're always focused on the facts and the strategy. And I, I just, again, really appreciate that. It always gives me a great perspective. Awesome. And I think it is funny that um, like, of all the Canadians in South Florida, we basically have them all on this one podcast at the same time. <laughs> uh, it, it, it is funny. I was actually listening to a, uh, a Startup Canada podcast uh, yesterday, ironically enough, uh, during the workday. And um, something that I think is probably uniquely uh, Canadian versus American is uh, they have Dragon's Den and we have Shark Tank here, uh, co figure. And there's, I'm sure, plenty of those little differences uh, in our ecosystems as well. Um, and speak of, uh, you know, the ecosystems, I mean, Elaine, I'm curious, how do you juggle everything that you do, uh, you know, not just with the Venture Cafe, but also with Kaya Project and, you know, just being uh, a community leader in all of the different assets and volunteerism that you also work with? That's a great question. Something I ask myself every Friday night when I shut down my computer <laughs> and I wonder how I got through the week, but I'm just joking. Honestly, um, 
it's interesting. The work that I focus on is really around ecosystems. And I think we never actually define it. The way I define ecosystems is really looking at how you can connect um, principles, priorities, platforms, partnerships, and programs. Those things exist when it relates to NEA project and the youth opportunity space, as it relates to the work we're doing in Overtown um, in a neighborhood-based neighborhood ecosystem program, the work that I do nationally with the American Bar Association and also the work on the South Florida ecosystem. And we are not like a binary existence. And so what I also look for is overlap where there are connection points. Oftentimes um, when you're looking at um, the pipeline work around the tech pipeline, for example, the entrepreneurial pipeline that might deal with K-12, it's the same groups that we're talking with and partnering with for NEA Project and helping give access to college strategy coaching or fellowships. The same thing exists in the tech ecosystem, for example. There's so much overlap. So I think for me, um, I like to say I have three superpowers. They are strategy, communication, and connection. So I'd say the superpower around connection really helps me be able to see where there are overlapping points and where I can not just think um, through a tunnel vision that I'm only doing the tech ecosystem work in this bucket and only doing youth opportunity work in this bucket. I can actually see where there's overlap and I think that helps me really juggle things. I would say uh, uh, those are great superpowers to have. I might borrow some of those sometimes, I think I do. but. Uh, you know, speaking of building and, and those superpowers, I feel like they're like so essential for not just building an ecosystem, but you're also very focused on building an inclusive ecosystem. So I do want to like talk a little bit more about that in detail, but could you first kind of define like what does it mean to have an inclusive environment and ecosystem? What does, in, you know, what does that look like and what does that mean? So there are a couple of indicators, I would say, of an inclusive and equitable ecosystem. And by no means are these exhaustive. It's just something I've observed over years of doing this. One is that you are designing for the folks that are often at the lowest common denominator. For example, you want to design for the folks that may not be quite frankly, like us sitting on this podcast, often on boards, often the folks that are called when government needs help. We wanna design for the people that may not have the same level of access that we do. Mm -hmm. And so if you are always designing for the folks that are not as privileged, that don't have the same opportunities, that don't have the same network, that don't have the same level of capital, there's actually gonna be a trickle up effect mm -hmm. where it will benefit everybody. Um, going up. So the opposite of trickle down, I would say trickle up. The second thing that makes something inclusive is that you focus on innovators, not institutions. And I'm not saying that the institutions aren't important, but at the end of the day, an institution is actually made up of people. And I think oftentimes with ecosystem building, we focus so much on the entities and not enough on the founders and the individuals that actually need to access the resources. Um, the other thing that I would say makes something inclusive is beginning to look at how you support and not supplant using a very legal term. But at the end of the day, a lot of times when we're going in to be builders, we are not thinking about how we support the existing assets, either by building capacity, helping them really um, scale up their mission, helping them connect with new resources. And, and so that's something that I think is really important because People have egos, people have feelings, and you want to make sure that you're always respectful. And I would say the last principle around inclusion 
is to, I don't know, just think about trust, mm -hmm. focus on the soft and tangible pieces as well as the more infrastructural data-driven pieces like trust, relationship building and um, psychological safety. Those elements, I think, allow us to have the empathy that's needed to build an inclusive space. Yeah, I love, I love all of that. Um, this is a really important and timely conversation. Um, I, I was wondering, you know, do you think South Florida, Miami is inclusive? Are there good signs of it being inclusive? What, what are kind of the glimmers of hope and what are the things that we really need to like double down on to fix or correct? in your opinion? Yeah, I think we endeavor to be inclusive and there are elements where we are inclusive. Um, I would say like the work that we, all the three of us do together. I think that's the prime example um, in terms of, you know, we've partnered with you um, all on the, the hackathon around racism. And we had some real tough conversations before and after and during about how do we make this truly inclusive? I think about the work that um, South Florida Tech, Palm Beach Tech is doing around um, the hackathon that you also did, where you were looking at um, food insecurity and other organizations that often aren't thought about when you think about um, technology and even simply adding in sign language interpreters for programming and closed captioning. That's a element, a glimmer of hope of inclusion that I think is really great. I also think that we have an opportunity to really look at what does inclusion mean um, in terms of our work. And I don't think it means diversity. And oftentimes as a, as a South Florida market, we conflate diversity with inclusion and they're two separate dynamics. Inclusion is truly about understanding how everybody can have equal opportunity for power, influence, access, and to play a role. And that doesn't always happen if we ignore the data and the numbers that show that the opportunities don't exist equally for people. Um, I think because we are majority minority, we may forget that when you're a majority minority, you still have to disaggregate for the different experiences of those other underrepresented groups like LGBTQ, intersectionality experiences, and folks that may not make up the majority, even though there may be a racial and ethnic majority. Yeah, I think that's such an important takeaway just to like repeat that, you know, inclusion equals equal opportunity. Um, because we are, I, I definitely think there's a, a, we're blurring the lines between inclusion and diversity. Um, and, you know, even self-admittedly, we, we talk a lot about diversity. We're trying to build a diverse and inclusive tech ecosystem and access to tech education. So, um, yeah, really, really pointed. And I'll, I'll let Joe ask the next question, but also really excited to hear about the Miami Tech Manifesto. Yeah, I, I, I was actually curious about that as well. Uh, and, and this might be, you know, uh, something you can hit on that with, but, um, you know, I'm, I'm curious about your, your, your perspective on this. When startups are looking to be inclusive, you know, they're, they're, they're trying to take the right route in the ecosystem. Um, how can they ensure they're doing the right things in their journey as they build their company to build the right culture, to build the right uh, perspective? So they are an inclusive company, but also seen as an inclusive company and seen as a very welcoming environment to everyone. Yeah, when I think about that, um, 
I'd say the first piece of advice, I'll offer a couple pieces of advice, but the first piece of advice is simply understand that you're not going to get it right. So if you can use that as your baseline, that you are actually just like when you're building a product, the MVP is never going to be perfect. Your MVP on a culture of inclusion is never going to be perfect. So that gets you into the mindset that it's a continuing exercise, one in which you will be learning, evolving, and iterating upon on a daily basis. So that's the first one. Secondly, I think it's also important to understand that inclusion can happen in community so that you can seek out best practices and communities of leaders that are also on the same journey. We share a lot. Joe referenced, you know, conversations that we've had and, you know, we both had conversations around how do we as leaders, as organizational leaders, think about being more inclusive? Because it really does start from the top in the sense that I'm not a big fan of hierarchy and I love a good flat culture, but leaders set the vision and leaders set the cultural uh, dynamic. And so it's really got to start from the leadership at the top and then loop back into ground up support. The third thing that I would say in terms of how we can tap into resources is um, begin to think about something as simple as I know we're going to talk about the manifesto in a second, but like literally, did you write it down? If you haven't taken a moment to write down what your values are, what your principles are, um, what your honest assessment of the current state of affairs is, and, the, and then where you want to be, then it's going to be really hard for others to get behind a vision of inclusion if it hasn't been clearly articulated. So simply understand that it's going to be an iterative process, connect with other leaders for accountability and best practices, and at the minimum, write it down. I think that's a great starting point to begin to build an inclusive culture. And then to use the, um, the former um, phrase of WinCode, never stop learning. Always, <laughs> always keep learning. <laughs> I love it. Thanks. Uh, that's a great wing code reference. Still, still true to the team and, and brain station. We're very aligned so that it's, it's still, uh, still relevant today. So that's awesome. Um, yeah, that, there's so much good stuff there. I mean, speaking of vision, maybe we can move a little bit to the Miami tech manifesto. I mean, it's, it's such a journey to write down your thoughts and then even speak them. Right. So that's actually something we even teach at WinCode is you may think, you know, something in your mind, but try to write it down and then try to present or talk about it. Then you'll really know, like, can you formulate it? So I feel like the Miami Tech Manifesto represents that. So if you could tell us what it is, how it came to be, how it will, you know, what is the vision there? Yeah, so the Miami Tech Manifesto was a collaborative effort by a group of folks that we all know well that have been building in the tech ecosystem for years and years and years, including, you know, the OGs, um, Maria from um, Refresh Miami, we had Michelle from Manatech, actually a lot of women-led groups, quite frankly, Beacon Council was involved, the Center for Black Innovation, um, I don't want to name everybody, I don't want to forget everybody, so I'll just say, like, go to the manifesto, wearemymetech.com. But it really was, it, it's really been interesting because we've been getting a lot of 
spotlight nationally around Miami being the epicenter of our region as maybe a global hub for tech and innovation. And one of the things that we realized we'd actually never done, we talk about it, but we'd never sat down and articulated what are our principles. We've got a lot of new people coming. How can we share what is near and dear to us? And how can we share where we're trying to be so that everybody can get on board in the vision of what it, what our community can look like from a lens of inclusion and opportunity? Um, and so we got together over the Christmas break. So that's what we did over, you know, holiday break. That's what Rebecca Monson was involved in it as well and we um sat down and had a brainstorm and then i i volunteered to to pen the actual manifesto because i love to write and i yeah i actually just outlined it on a whiteboard <laughs> and then put it together and when we came back as a group to review it everybody really liked what what i had distilled into a statement but ultimately um there's several principles around the idea that we're a community of builders we're disruptors we believe talent is universal but opportunity is not we're home to outsiders so we're always welcoming um, we can be a global launch pad because quite frankly we're closer to other countries than we are to the rest of the continental united states but i think more importantly we're, we're driven by these inclusive values and this what has become controversial, but I don't think it's controversial, is this idea that we're not silicon anything, that we have our own identity um, that's not trying to replicate the valley, um, but also, you know, can learn from the valley, but but has our own essence and, and, and gems. And then last but not least, um, being transparent about failure and building together, that this is really a living document that will evolve. And it's really just the ground floor of what I think will be the next step in the work that our team is going to be doing, which is helping to drive infrastructure, drive the ecosystem forward, and really connect us to actually live out these values and tangible outputs and outcomes that are measurable. Amazing. Nice. And one more question before we get to the rapid fire part of this whole thing. Uh, you also work with a lot of companies and you have in your career, uh, a, a lot of big names we, we mentioned earlier, uh, and, and not to rehash them, but you know, you've worked with startups and you've worked with the large companies and you know in between all of that i'm sure you've seen uh the big mistakes that big companies have made that the startups try to you know avoid and i'm sure you see a lot of innovations that startups are nimble on that large companies can never really be you know nimble on and at the same time obviously different efforts of being inclusive um that both try but what do you see as like the biggest difference or the biggest highlight between both of those different companies, the sizes of companies and the experiences that they could really provide? I mean, there's, there's tactical differences um, that relate to resources, um, reach, expertise, operational structure, and, um, and agility. There's that. But I would say on the more individual personal side, um, there's really no difference. I think the one thing that startups and large corporates need to remember is that innovation is for everyone and innovation can come from anywhere. And I think that is a mindset that allows us to see opportunities that we may have overlooked because we're focusing more on process innovation or a clear structure of how it's supposed to evolve. And that's also how we overlook that innovation can come from maybe underrepresented groups, underrepresented places or problems that may be overlooked. So I think that's the biggest you know, takeaway that I have is 
they're actually all the same if we remember that innovation truly is for everyone. And, and focusing more on the identity of who is an innovator and the identity of um, who we elevate as an innovator. And I think that's often where we have a little bit of trouble in, in stopping or staggering that innovation journey. I love it. So well said. Um, oh, you got to look everywhere for innovation. And I also like the flat, you know, the flat team structures also make it so that you're looking very tall and tall and low, wide, all wide, at all angles, right? So super, super important. Um, okay, well, we always like to cap off these talks with a little rapid fire to learn a little more about you. So the first question is, what is the book on your nightstand right now? What are you reading right now? So I am, I have a Kindle paperwhite because I just have a lot of books that I'm always reading. But the book that I'm reading right now that I'm in love with is See No Stranger um, by Valerie Cower. And it is such an amazing book about the idea that love is revolutionary and it can really um, address some of the biggest challenges that we have of the human condition. Mm, I love that. What is your most productive time of day? morning. I, I am very much a morning person. I actually cannot think at night. So I, I don't typically take phone calls or meetings beyond my team meeting until two o'clock in the afternoon. It's a good strategy. Um, speaking of that, what to be an uh, early bird, which I believe you have a, an early morning routine that you follow very closely all the time, which I also aspire to do. What time do you go to bed? Um, I don't sleep very well, so I try to go to bed by 10-ish. Um, it doesn't always happen, though. Sometimes a little bit earlier, sometimes later. And what about what time are you waking up? So don't judge me. So I wake up at 3.45 um, every morning, pretty much. Sometimes four on the weekends, but 3.45. That's incredible and uh yeah no that's great i mean you're seizing the day for sure and there's no wonder that your you know evenings are for enjoyment and rest <laughs> um what is your favorite podcast what do you like to listen to um it's really tough to pick a favorite uh so it would be a tie between right now i've been listening to a lot of brene brown's unlocking us mm -hmm. um slash her dare to lead and then the other one that I really, really like is Meditative Story. If you've not listened to that, it is amazing. Um, but then there's always honorable mentions to how I built this because Guy Ross is awesome. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, okay. And then finally, what is, do you have a motto or a mantra that you live by or a quote that inspires you and keeps you going that you always come back to? Every, well, you've probably heard me say this, but my mantra, my personal mantra is people, purpose, and impact over everything else. So well said. That's awesome. And uh, the last question here before we wrap up the day, and I mean, well, some of us are just getting our day started. Others have been up since four in the morning. But <laughs> what is one bit of advice that you have to give to people who are aspiring leaders in our ecosystem? Um, the one piece of advice I would give it to leaders in general, tech leaders specifically, um, is remember that leadership requires intentionality, a commitment to excellence, and a heart for empathy, and a clear sense of integrity. Those four principles will never lead you astray. Jeez, you are right on point with these. 
My God. I, you know what? I feel like you probably have it like right behind your monitor here. It's like, no, you know, it's just, it's, I know it's not, but it just sounds like so crisp. Like you just got, have a lot of well thought out points on all of these. So Leanne, thank you so much for hopping on this morning and chit-chatting with us. Um, you know, the, the, I, I know we all know each other, but it's always fun when we get to have some conversation. Um, so of course, um, you know, thank you to uh, WinCode, uh, one of our, our other sponsors, uh, now BrainStation. Um, I'm really, really, really excited about all of this. Um, if you are tuning in and you're looking to uh, get um, a tech education in, in digital marketing, in web development, coding, uh, check out wincode.co. They have amazing programs and some really awesome workshops that you can uh, tune into as well. And uh, if you're interested in learning more about what we do uh, at Palm Beach Tech, you can go to palmbeachtech.org, get involved, uh, join our Slack channel, uh, see all the really cool events that we have coming up, including some really awesome podcasts for this year um, that are, uh, are, we're all planning. I, I believe we're also uh, got the mayor of Miami coming up on a future one. So uh, thank you guys so much. Thank you, Leanne, and hope you guys have a great and wonderful day. Awesome. Thank you. See you guys. We'd like to thank our producing sponsor, Media Ops. They're the premier global media platform for technical communities with brands such as DevOps.com, Security Boulevard, Container Journal, and Digital Anarchist. DevOps.com, their primary brand, attracts and engages a thriving online community of technology professionals around the world. It is the largest collection of original content relating to DevOps on the web today, featuring up-to-the-minute news, highlighted stories, blogs, and more.